listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. And again, if you're our guest, welcome. My name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And we have been spending, I think this is week 18 in the Gospel of Matthew. And about 10 of those, I think, I don't even know how many, have been in this, this portion of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is uh, Jesus is addressing his followers. Uh, there's a crowd of people around, but he specifically addresses his followers. And he's teaching them what kingdom living really looks like, uh, what it looks like to be a follower of him. And so he's giving them tons of specifics that we've worked through. And today he's going to close out this sermon on the Mount. And he's going to, in seminary, they used to teach us, you know, when you, when you end a sermon, it should be something memorable, kind of that mic drop moment, some illustration. Well, Jesus does that today in, in many ways. And so we're gonna look at the last portion of chapter seven. A few weeks ago, I was uh, at, the, at the Publix, uh, which is not an unusual thing for me, but this time I had, you know, a big old list and I'd filled up the, the conveyor belt and then checking everything off. And, you know, they asked me, paper, plastic? Yeah, you know, whatever is best for you. And I try to organize stuff on the conveyor so that's helpful, you know, put all the milk together and put all the, the cold stuff together, you know. And I get to the end and I reach in my pocket and it hits me. I don't have my wallet. And it's well too late. I mean, this is not the 10, 10 items or less it's triple digits now. There's people behind lined up with their full carts trying to get home for dinner. And I'm like, I can't pay. And I tell, tell the lady, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I, I think I left my wallet in, in the car or somewhere. And then there's just all the people behind, all the boomers that are standing behind me. They're like, yes, I knew those Gen Xers were just a waste of life. I mean, I fulfilled all the expectations of my forefathers. Uh, you know, and, and so I, oh, I'm so sorry. So they have to avoid everything. They put it to the side. I got to run out to the car and find the, oh, there's a wallet. It fell out. Bring it back in. And, and it's, it's an inconvenience at best, right? I look like a, a, a moron running across the parking lot, you know, going to get my wallet. I have to come back and check. That's an inconvenience. But, but bigger is standing there with all the stuff and I can't pay. What do I do? What do I do? Right? And, and Jesus is, in essence, going to address that issue, not at the grocery store today, but he's going to take us to the end of time where you were standing at the end of your life before that judgment. Your life is laid out on the conveyor belt, so to speak, and it's time to pay. And you don't have your wallet, right? And at that moment for us, it's too late to run out to the car. Can't, can't do anything about it, right? What do you do? Right. That, that's what he's really going to address today, because what he's going to address is a group of people that, that think they're going to heaven. They think they got their wallet. They got everything on the conveyor. They think they get to the end. They've typed in their number. They think they can pay, and they're not. They're not. And he's going to tell them. And the good news for us is this. Right. This, this is a heavy passage. It really, really is. But, but the reason Jesus is telling us beforehand it's because he doesn't want us to get to the end and, and be deceived thinking you have your wallet, thinking you have that debit card. He wants to tell you now, it's almost like he's reminding you, bring your wallet, don't forget your wallet, right? Don't forget your keys, don't forget your wallet. He's, he's telling us beforehand so that when you get to the end, it's not too late. Because in that moment, when you stand before the Lord Jesus, and we will all stand before the Lord Jesus, it's, there's no running to the car anymore. You will either here enter into the joy of your master and you will have eternal rejoicing and joy with God forever or you will be eternally separated from him in a place the Bible calls the lake of fire. At that moment, 
but he tells us beforehand so that we're not deceived, so we don't think we have our wallet. And so we're gonna look at this passage today. And, and honestly, y'all, this is, if I could pick and choose my passages, I wouldn't preach it, right? Why are you preaching it then? Because it's the next passage. It's, it's chapter seven, the next portion. This is one of the most terrifying passages in all the Bible. You can, there's some scary passages in the Bible, you know, Revelation, there's dragons and stuff, and you got, you know, some of the apocalyptic literature of the Old Testament. This, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, is one of the most sobering texts in all the Bible because he's talking to religious people, to Bible Belt folks, pro-lifers, been on a missions trip, went to Christian college, went to Christian high school, involved in Bible study. He's talking to a bunch of folks that are just like us, who think they're at the end and they're going to heaven. He's gonna say, you're not. You've been deceived. And so we're gonna look at why they were deceived so that we're not. Again, the goal is Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be, I don't want you to get there and think you forgot your wallet. I don't want you to get to that point. Right? And so let me read our text. It's a familiar text, but it's, uh, it's one that maybe some of you haven't heard before. And then we'll kind of unpack it. Chapter seven, verse 21. Not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. When Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And so the passage picks up, it's really a, the second part of what Andrew preached last week. The, the, he closes the Sermon on the Mount with four kind of pairs, right? You had two gates last week and two sets of trees. Today we have two claims and two builders. And the point, there's, I don't have six points of the sermon and how to do this and how to do this. The point that Jesus closes the sermon, he wants you to ask yourself, which one am I? I. That's, that's where he's landing this sermon. And he wants you to be the wise man, right? That, that's where he's trying to get you to see, but he's trying to get you to evaluate which one am I? Because some people think they're one thing and they're not, they've been deceived. So let's, let's unpack it and see why they're deceived so that we're not. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, one in the kingdom of heaven. Now, before we jump into the why they're deceived, notice there's something that Jesus makes a claim here. It's kind of veiled, but it's, it's pretty clear when you think about it. He's, he's basically saying, everyone is gonna answer who? To me. He says, not everyone says, Lord, Lord, to me. The implication there is, is what the rest of the scripture teach, that Jesus holds the keys to the heaven. That Jesus has all authority, which is why at verse 29, it says they were amazed because he's teaching with authority. This is why the gospel ends. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Jesus is the judge. He is the one who decides who is in, who is not. And he's making this claim here. So they, everyone will answer to me. The same thing that the apostle Paul says that he charges Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus who is to judge the living in the dead. This is a an amazing claim, really, that Jesus is saying, people are going to answer to me. People are going to say to me. And since he is the judge, it's kind of important to listen to what he says. So he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, 
Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now notice they're using the word Lord, Lord. The, word, the Greek word is kyrie, right? Kyrie, and he says it twice, right? You hear the, the old 80s rock song, Kyrie Eleison by Mr. Mister, right? There you go, is it Mr. Mister? I think it's Mr. Mister. That's not carrying a laser down the road I always travel. It's Kyrie Eleison, right? So if you get nothing else out of the sermon, you've you got an accurate picture of an 80s song, right? But it's Kyrie, Lord, Kyrie. They call Jesus Lord. This is not a group of other religion people. This is not the, uh, the Muslims or the Buddhists or uh, you know, the Hindus or the atheists. These are Christians. They call Jesus Lord. If you ask them, do you believe in the Trinity? Amen. Believe in the virgin birth? Hallelujah. I mean, Easter Sunday, he is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Virgin birth, absolutely. They're going to acknowledge Jesus as God. They're gonna say, yes, I believe he is his Lord. And they do it with emotion. The, the, the repetition of the vocative here is the, the mood. Is it shows emphasis and, and intimacy and yes and passion. They have emotion. They are sincere. They've had some sort of emotional experience. They went to the Bible camp or a, a retreat where they raised their hand, where they went down front, where they were emotionally stirred. There's, there's passion and good orthodoxy. And on top of that, there's ministry experience. Verse 22, on that day, many will say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty things in your name? I mean, their, their spiritual resume, they go to, to three Bible studies a week. They lead a small group. They've been to Bible school. They're deacons. They, they, they've been on trips, right? They can recite the Old Testament books backwards. They, they got it. You would say, wow, impressive. And guess who else would say impressive? They would say, wow, impressive. Because look how it's phrased. Look how Jesus phrases it. They're asking Jesus a question. They're asking him, God, didn't we? What's, and they're expecting a, a positive answer. Yes, you did. Didn't we prophesy? Yes, you did. Didn't we cast out demons? Yes, you did. Didn't we do mighty works? Yes, you did. And they're like, look at this. It's like that scene in Castaway when Tom Hanks creates fire for the first time. Remember that scene? It's a great scene. He's like, I have created fire. And he's like all dancing around fire and he's doing all this. This is what they're doing in front of Jesus. Look at this, Bible studies, missing strips, tithing. That's what they're doing, expecting Jesus to be like, wow, that's impressive. We need you and we need people like you in heaven. I mean, we really need, we, I mean, you, you, you get it. Come on in, right? That's the expectation, right? Great orthodoxy, great passion, great sincerity, great ministry experience. And then Jesus says this to them, the most just somber words, scary words in all the Bible. I will declare, literally the word is confess, homo same word if we confess our sins. I will confess to them, I never knew you. Depart, workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. To a place Luke says, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, that the rest of the gospels say that, that God created for the devil and, and his angels, the lake of fire. I never knew you. And go back to verse 22. I think this is the key word that we just need to think about. It says, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, multitudes 
thousands, millions maybe, I don't know, religious, moral people that have all the right answers, that raised their hand, that went on a mission trip, that walked an aisle. People often ask me, why don't we have an invitation here at CBC? Why don't we guys have people walk down an aisle? The, you want the, the answer is because walking an aisle doesn't save anybody. It doesn't, it doesn't save anybody. And I don't wanna give you a false sense of assurance because you walked an aisle some day that, oh, I'm a Christian, I came down the aisle. No, I, that doesn't save you, right? What saves you is he knowing you. And notice the, the, the phrasing of the word. It's not, I knew, you never knew me. I never knew you. Jesus never knew them. It's not that he didn't know about them. The word know is, it's a word of intimacy. It's used of marriage. It's just, it's just, there's a relationship, there's intimacy. I did not know you. And C.S. Lewis captures this idea so well in, in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia and the Voyage of John Trader when Edmund, who was in the first book, he was a knucklehead. He was the bad guy, but right? But he was saved, he was rescued. And he's talking to Eustace, his cousin, and he's trying to explain who Aslan is to his cousin. And, and Eustace says, do you, you know Aslan? Who is Aslan? Do you know him? He says, well, he knows me. He is the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the sea who saved me and all of Narnia, right? It's not about what you know. It's about what he knows. Does he know you? And these folks get to the end and their life is on the conveyor belt and they think they got their wallet. He says, I never knew you. So why were they deceived? What does Jesus say? They, they substituted a knowledge of God, a knowledge about God for a relationship with him. Lord, Lord, with passion. They substituted association with Christianity, with being a Christian. I'm in ministry, I've done this, I've gone on a trip, I support this person, I support Young Life, I do, I do all these things. But yet they didn't know, he weren't known by him. And here's what you gotta see from the text. The accurate doctrine, it's fine, but it won't save you. An emotional experience, great, but it doesn't save you. Ministry and, and busyness in the spiritual world can be deceptive, right? Because it doesn't save you. And your absolute best day on your best, uh, in your best year, the best thing you've ever done is not enough to save you. My best sermon is filled with enough insecurity and pride uh, to cast me in hell forever because nothing you can do can save, no good deeds will save you. And again, this is heavy. I know this is weighty. And this is not a, a, a sermon that, that brings in the crowds, y'all. It just doesn't. In fact, you won't hear this text preached in so many places because this is a scattering text. This is not a gathering text. But here's the heart of Jesus here. And our heart as elders and pastors and staff and everything is that nobody in this room that comes through these doors today of the 12, 1300 people, anybody watching online, that no one would be deceived into thinking, I'm good, I go to church. That you would not be deceived into thinking, everything's fine, I'm a Christian. And you get to the end and you realize he never knew you. This is Paul's heart. When he leaves the Ephesians, he says this, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all. I did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. Because one day I'm gonna stand there and Jesus is gonna say, did you teach the whole counsel? Did you teach? And I don't wanna, no, I, I, I deceive people. I just wanted to bring in crowds. I wanted to make them feel happy. No, I want you to know. I don't want you to be deceived. And this is the heart of the apostles. Peter says this, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves. 
Paul says, brothers, make sure your calling and your, your election is sure. Be diligent. This is the heart of the New Testament. Make sure you have your wallet, right? Make sure. You say, well, how can I be insured? Because if you get to that moment, y'all, there is no running into the car. There is no reincarnation. There's no purgatory. There is no nothing. There's appointed for men to die once and then comes a judgment, right? And so how do we know? What does Jesus say? Again, back to verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But who? The one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. He says, you wanna have assurance in that day and confidence? The one who has assurance is the one who does the will of the father, right? Your assurance is not based on a loud profession or how much you know or how much you do or some great experience. You're the chief characteristic of the follower is obedience. And I know some of you are thinking, wait, Bill, I thought you couldn't earn something. I, couldn't, I thought you couldn't be good enough to get to heaven. I thought you couldn't do enough good deeds. You can't. Salvation is by grace. It is through faith. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works lest any of us boast. He's not talking about how to get into heaven. He dealt with that last week at the gate. There's a narrow gate, there's the wide gate. He dealt with it then. He's not talking about how to get there. He's talking about how do you know you're going there? Assurance is based on what? It's based on my life has changed. Now there is an obedience. This is what Jesus says later, right? He says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and what I, I know them. That's not they know me. I know them and what do they do? They follow me. See, it's possible to miss salvation by 10 to 12 inches, the distance between your brain and your heart, right? It's possible to spend your entire life staring at the gate, the narrow gate, and to never go through by faith. So how do I know I've gone through? Because there has been life change. Not perfection, but you do the will of the Father. I hear his voice and I follow him. So what is the will of the Father then? What, what does that look like? It says only those who do the will of the Father. He has spent three chapters explaining. Right? It's not go to church, be nice. We're not talking about that. Where does he start? Blessed are the poor in spirit, that you come empty, not trying to impress people, look how I pray, look how much I give, look how I fast, not practicing your righteousness before men, you come broken, sinful, separated, that's the will of the Father, that you aren't trying to impress people, that you're not trying to earn people's favor, not trying to earn God's favor, look what I've done, look at my Bible study, I've done a quiet time every day this week, God, seven days in a row, we're not impressing, we're poor in spirit, blessed are the, the meek, the gentle, right? The, the strength under control, blessed are the peacemakers. Are you pursuing peace? Are you uh, a divider? Blessed are the, uh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you have a desire for, for what is good? Or as soon as your parents aren't looking, as soon as your spouse is not looking, as soon as your boss is not looking, you're running to evil. You know, the Proverbs says, uh, six things the Lord hates, yet seven that are an abomination, feet that run to evil. Soon as soon as no one's looking, I run to sin, right? Or do you have a heart to do what is right, right? Are you merciful? Do you hold a grudge? Do you bring up the past? Do you always want to get back and get your pound of flesh? Or do you forgive because you've forgiven? These are the things Jesus said. You store up treasure in heaven. Are you trying to store up a great big garage full of stuff? Or are you, are you investing in, in things that matter? The word of God, people, right? Are you more concerned about the external? Don't commit adultery, don't murder, 
Or are are you getting to the root, to the heart? It's not just about adultery. It's about It's about my heart and what am I longing for? It's not just about not killing somebody. It's about how do I think about people? How do I treat people? It takes it to the next level. These these are signs of the person who is doing the will of God, right? Here's a biggie. Blessed are those who mourn over what? Over their sin. They shall be comforted. Here's here's a big challenge. Here's, Here's a big test for us. How you examine. How do you deal with the sin in your life? When you fail, when you fall, how do you deal with that? Do you justify it? Do you ignore it? Or do you try to deal with it? No one's perfect. We're not, we're not saying perfect. So if you're thinking Bill's saying we have to never sin, I'm not talking about that. It's not perfection, but there's progress. And if God says X and it's very clear and you say, no, I don't believe that, I'm gonna do this. There's one of two options. You become hardened to the truth of what God says or you've never truly met him because my sheep hear my voice and they listen to me. And I asked the first service, I've been listening to a lot of my brothers, my African-American brother preachers lately, and they always say this. They say, can I push it? And the, and the audience says, push it. And so I'm gonna ask, can I push it? Okay, push. I'm gonna push it anyway, so I don't really care. I just wanted your help. Okay. And I, would, look, I was so encouraged after, after first service because a couple came up to me and, and said that six months ago, I had preached on one topic and they were, that was where they were. And at first they were like, offended, but then they realized the Holy Spirit worked in their heart and they came and they repented and they turned and they did exactly what, that's what we're talking about. If, if, if you, if God is saying X and you are like, no, I'm not doing that. And you never turn and you, if you're hardening your heart, it's possibly you're not, you're not saved. Here's what first Corinthians says. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And we would say, yeah, of course not. And then he tells us what the unrighteous are. <laughs> do not be deceived. Sexually immoral idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, evildoers, swindlers. And he's not saying that if you've ever done these things, you can't go to heaven. What he's saying is this, if you are a Christian, your life cannot reflect these things consistently. Doesn't mean you've never struggled with any. Doesn't mean you still don't struggle with this. Some of you might struggle with lust and immorality, but you're fighting it. The fact that you're fighting it shows that there's, there, there's been regeneration, there's a new heart. But if you're just running headlong, if someone comes up to say, you know what, you guys are living together and that's, that's not right, that's sin. And you're like, I don't care what you say. One of two options. You don't, you, maybe you just, I don't know what God's word says about immorality or uh, I just don't care what God says. And if you say, I don't care what God says, then it's possible you've never met him. And that's hard to, to hear but that's what Paul's saying. And, I, and again, I'm saying this not because I want to be mad, mean preacher. You, if you know me, I'm not mad, mean preacher most of the time. Sometimes, right? But most of the time, I'm not. I don't want you to be mad at me. I want you to like me because I'm short and I'm a reject. And so I always want people to like me. But I'm telling you the truth because I love you and I don't want you to stand before Jesus one day and hear, well, I went to church. I think I went to church. I was a good person. And he says, I never knew you. I don't want you to be there, right? That's why we, 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 this is what we go to. We go to the word. And just so he says, homosexuality is sin. It's not some alternative lifestyle. It's not all of this and that. No, it's something to be repented of. Can you repent of it? Absolutely. Can you be tempted with it? Absolutely. But it's, it's Bible says, this is sin. And we say, those are the easy ones. Okay, let's talk about the greedy. You who are like, I need a new car. I need to do this. I need to do this. He says, that shouldn't be your lifestyle. I'm, I'm supposed to be generous in giving stuff away, not trying to get, the, get, 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 get. Swindlers, stealing from your employer. Revilers, people who talk smack all the time. 
right? People, see, this takes it down to the next level. He said, this shouldn't characterize you. And if it does and you never repent and you never feel conviction of that, look, God disciplines his children. He's going to bring you to righteousness. And even if you want to go to the next level down, I mean, these are like, yeah, those are bad sins. Look what, uh, look what um, James says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. No, I'm sorry, I'm reading the next verse. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? And James is saying no. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one he says, go in peace, be warm and filled, and doesn't do anything, he says, how, how is that? How good is that? His point is this. If you, don't, if you see a brother or a sister in need and you don't meet that need and you have the ability to meet that need, he says, how does the love of God dwell in you? This is the whole point of 1 John. 1 John says, one of the signs that you're a believer is that you love the brotherhood and the sisterhood. And if you don't love other Christians, he said, then you don't love God. Right? You see your brother in need and he needs a meal and you got 20 bucks in your pocket. You're like, I need that 20 bucks because I'm gonna go play the lottery later. I ain't giving it to him. How does the love of God dwell in you? That's his point. There's, the point is there's a life change. And again, not perfectly, because none of us could come in this room and say, yep, I mastered this. Never struggle with reviling or laziness or anything. But there's a desire. When there's new life and there's new birth, it's I still sin, but I don't want to. I still yell at my kids, but I don't, ah, it bothers me because it's sin. And this is why he says back in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, such were you, past tense, this is what you were, immoral, idolater, reviler. That's what you were, but not anymore. I've forgiven you of that. So that shouldn't be showing up consistently. It should be growth. Not perfect, but progressive. That's what we're talking about, right? So the question is, has there ever been any kind of a life change? Or you walked an aisle, you got baptized, you raised your hand, but it's just really been the same. And I just don't want to go to hell, so I just kind of prayed a prayer. And that's not what we're talking about. That's not heart change. And Jesus doesn't want us to be deceived, right? He doesn't want us to be deceived. So here's how he applies it. We'll close it out with this. Verse 24, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does what? Does them. And these words, he's talking about the whole sermon. Sermon on the Mount. He said, everyone who hears this sermon I've been preaching and does it, he's like a wise man. Anybody wanna be a wise man, wise woman? Anyone wanna be foolish, right? There's two options here, wise or foolish. You got, you got to choose. The wise one hears what Jesus says and puts it into practice. He's like a man who built his house on the rock. The rain falls, the flood comes, the wind blows, and it doesn't fall. Why? Because it's founded on the rock. Now, the foolish person hears the words and doesn't do it, does nothing. Just kind of, yeah, that's fine. The rain falls, the floods come, the winds blow, they beat against the house, and the fall of it is great. And here's the thing about that. In the beginning, everything looks fine for both houses, doesn't it? House on the sand, house on the rock, same builders, you know, same whatever. Everything looks fine until what? The end, till the storm, till the rain. And the rain and the storm and the, and the, and the wind here are not the storms of life. You know, oh, it's hard. You got, I lost my job. You got cancer. Yeah, those, those things are real and the Bible deals with them in other places. The storm that's coming here is the storm of judgment, and the only house that will stand when judgment comes is the ones who are built on the rock. And it doesn't take a theologian to figure out who the rock is. The rock is Jesus. He is the cornerstone, the one rejected by men, but it's choice and precious in the sight of God. A rock of offense, a stone of stumbling. That's, 
And his point is this, are you built, are you, are you trying to build your house in the sand? Look at my Bible study, look at my quiet time, look at my church membership, look at all I've done. That's sand. It looks good for now, but when you're standing at the end of the conveyor belt, you got no wallet. Or are you gonna build it on Christ? Because when the judgment comes, it's gonna be there because it was built on the rock. And so his point in the whole sermon at the end is this, which kind of builder are you? You wise or are you foolish? And he doesn't want you to be the foolish. That's why he's telling us ahead of time. He's not trying to deceive us. He's trying to lay it all out there, right? Which one are you? And here's the, here's the problem with my illustration. No illustration is perfect unless it's an illustration Jesus tells. Here's the problem with my illustration. If I had my wallet, I could pay for my groceries, right? That's the implication. The, point, the problem is at the end of your life, whether you have your wallet or not, you cannot pay for what you've done because the wages of sin is death. And you trying to pay for what you've done with like, it would be like me going to the lady at the Publix. Can I do some jumping jacks to pay for this? You know, can I sing you a song? Can I take the cart back and maybe be nice to all the, no, it's silly. I cannot pay for it. It is a debt I could not pay. I could have Jeff Bezos as my uncle and he couldn't pay it for me. The only way is for someone outside to come in and say, I got his tab. And that's what the Lord Jesus did. He comes in from the outside, from heaven. He comes, born of a virgin, lives the perfect life that I couldn't live, dies on a cross in my place for my sin, bearing the wrath of God that I deserve, right? And he pays my debt. And what does he say? The last things he says before he gives up his spirit, it is finished. Greek word tetelestai, which means paid in full. Bill Fowler's debt, all this junk food on the conveyor belt of life and one piece of lettuce. It's my one good deed. The rest is just all junk. He says, paid for in my cross, in my blood, right? And now I have credit, the righteousness of God in heaven. He's put down his debit card, which is the resources of heaven, which is unlimited. And anytime I fall, I go back to the credit of God and his righteousness. And the way we know that that payment has been made, how do we know? Because three days later, he comes out of the grave, being declared the son of God in power, right? If he's still in the grave, he's just a guy who died. If he comes out of the grave, he is God in flesh, who is offering forgiveness for all of us. And the response for us is this. What's the response? Just like the hymnist, hymnal, hymnist wrote, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me savior or I die. You come like the sermon started. This is the genius of Jesus as a preacher. Where does he start? Blessed are the poor in spirit. You come empty handed. God, I got this whole thing of groceries. I can't pay for it. I got nothing. It's not my, I don't have church service. I don't have being nice. I don't have prayer. I don't have reading my Bible. I have nothing. I am empty. And understand this, sinner is, um, heaven is filled with a bunch of wretched sinners who know it. Look at the thief on the cross. His entire life, he's just a wretch. He's an insurrectionist. He's a murderer. And at that last moment, he looks over at Jesus and says, remember me in your kingdom. There's repentance and a faith. And Jesus says, you are gonna be with me forever 
in paradise. If anyone doesn't have his wallet, it's that dude. And he makes it. Why? Because blessed are the poor in spirit. So the only response today is this for you. If you came in thinking, look how good I am, is to be broken and poor in spirit. And again, in a, in a room this many people and with first service, I know there's somebody, I know there's somebody that you're like, I don't know, I think that's me, he's talking to me, but I don't know if I should say anything because I've been here for like five years and if I come forward and say, I don't think I was really a Christian, what are people gonna think? And my response would be like, who cares what they think? It only matters what Jesus thinks. I'll tell you what I would think. I'd be like, hey, I spent 20 years in the church and wasn't a Christian. You beat me by 15. I grew up in the church. I knew all the right answers. I, was, I didn't know desire to follow Jesus. I was doing my own thing my entire life. But I could have told you about the Trinity. In fact, I won the sword drill competition in my high school. I could find Zachariah before any of y'all, blindfolded. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Because I was lost until I recognized I was a sinner, separated from God, needed his grace. And I came and said, I got nothing. Right? And so if that's you this morning, who cares what people think? I'll tell you, most of us would be like, that's awesome. Another one bites the dust, right? Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. If you have questions about that, come talk to us. And if you're here and you're like, I don't believe any of this. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. Look, I'm just, I'm thankful you would come to a church like us. I mean, I'm grateful that you would just give me 35 minutes to talk to you. And here's what, here's what I would ask you to consider. If that's you, if you're skeptic, you're agnostic, you're, I don't really know. I would say, ask you to think about this. What if you're wrong and I'm right? This is what Blaise Pascal called, they call it Pascal's wager. Like, see, if I'm wrong, and I don't think I am. In fact, I'm pretty dead, I'm sure based on the resurrection of Jesus that I'm not. But if I'm wrong, I've lost nothing. I've lived a life that I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying, a life of hope, believing in resurrection. If you're wrong, you lose eternity. That's why this is a sobering text because it's heavy because eternity, brothers and sisters, is a long time. It never ends. It's forever. And so Jesus says, hey, today if you hear my voice, today. And some of you, God brought you here today for this very reason. Some of you, Satan is trying to get you not to listen to this. I'm telling you, if you don't believe in Satan, then he's already winning because you've already ignored the fact that he exists. He does exist and he hates this message because he's trying to deceive some of you to think you're good to go. Don't repent of sin. Don't believe. Just keep being a nice person. Don't listen to him. Listen to the words of Jesus. He's the one who loves you and died for you, right? So let me pray. We're gonna celebrate baptism. And here's the awesome thing about how God in his sovereignty put baptism today. Baptism is a celebration of what these people have, are, are believing and, and they are coming forward to you this morning to say, I'm not ashamed that I am a Christian. That's hard. It's, it's not so hard for me to get up on this stage because I've been doing it for 15 years. It's hard for people to come down in front of all y'all. Y'all are a scary bunch of people, I'm just telling you. But these folks today are saying, I don't care what people think. I'm gonna follow Jesus into the waters of baptism. And, and that's why we celebrate it. And that is fruit. Baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't wash away your sin. But someone who is following Christ and Jesus says, go and make disciples. One of the ways we make disciples is we baptize them. And they're just following what Jesus has said. It's something to celebrate. It's fruit. It's keeping, uh, it's bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. And so rejoice with them. You're gonna hear some of their stories. You're gonna celebrate with them. Some of your family that are from out of town, you're here because of them. We, this is the most exciting thing we do 
as we celebrate new birth, folks getting transferred to the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So why don't you stand, I'll pray, and then we'll sing and then we'll baptize some folks. Father, thank you for, through Jesus, telling us the truth beforehand and for you, Jesus, just telling us because you love us you don't want anybody to be deceived. And that's my prayer, that no one in this room would be deceived. That's, that no one leaves uh, with, uh, with blinders on. Uh, and, and that we can have confidence, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done, that he died and he rose again. That is our confidence. That is our hope. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you loved us enough that you did not leave us separated and alienated from yourself, but that you pursued us, that you loved us. Uh, and now we love you because you first loved us. It's in Christ's name I pray.